people. Good morning. Man, I'm so proud of you being here this morning. I mean, it's a beautiful weekend steamboat. You could out be doing a million different things, and uh, uh, here you are. Uh, I, I think you're in the right place. I mean, obviously, uh, we love our country. Well, on this holiday weekend, we're celebrating the United States of America. Aren't you grateful that you live in this country? Yeah, amen. 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 And uh, we're so blessed. We're so blessed. And we, we get to celebrate our freedom on, on Tuesday. But today we, we get to celebrate our freedom in Christ and what he has done for us. So thanks for joining us. My name is Troy. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, just grateful that you joined us here in person also online. I am not going to dilly-dally. I am jumping into this this morning. I'm so excited about this, uh, this thing that I want to share with you. If you missed last week, um, we started this new series. And uh, the premise of it basically is this, um, is that um, we believe that God decided at some point to become one of us, <laughs> to become one of us. Now, uh, as weird as that sounds, that is foundational to uh, the Christian faith. But it is a strange thought, nonetheless. It is, it is it's, it's, be honest, it's hard to believe if you really think about it a little bit. God came one of us. and In fact, it's always been hard to believe. Uh, even back in ancient times, um, no one believed that God would come down and become one of us. Everyone uh, back then was trying to move up and become like God. Uh, we know the pharaohs in Egypt and the Roman emperors, uh, they all wanted to go up and become gods. Uh, Julius Caesar and Nero, they made a, a, a pact with the, the Roman Senate and asked them to declare them divine. And so uh, everyone wanted to go up and become like God. But uh, suddenly Christians kind of showed up on the scene and they began claiming that God actually came down and became like one of us. This is fascinating. Uh, check this out. Uh, John the Apostle, uh, he was one of the eyewitnesses to Jesus' life and ministry, one of the many eyewitnesses. He wrote down what he saw, and when he summarized uh, the three years, what he saw during the three years of following Jesus, uh, he, he summarized it by making a very simple but bold, bold statement. He said this, John chapter 1, verse 14, he says, And the word became flesh... And dwelt among us. In other words, the God of the universe um, came down to earth and put on a human suit <laughs> and uh, uh, lived as one of us, lived among us. It's a pretty, pretty crazy thing. And so basically in this series, we're asking the question, um, if God was one of us, <laughs> just a stranger on a bus, if God was one of us, uh, uh, why? Why? Uh, did Jesus come and live like one of us? Now, the simple answer and the Sunday school answer, and mo if you were raised in America or you raised in church, you know this. He came to die for our sins. That's absolutely true. Uh, but the, the question you'd ask is, how long would that actually take him to do? Not very long. And so, uh, and of course, that is a big reason why he came, and we're going to talk about that at the end of this series, but um, there are other reasons that he came, that are important for you and I to know and understand and maybe articulate to our family and friends. And so we talked about one last week. The very first reason that we talked about last week was this, if you're taking notes. Jesus came, very simply, to communicate and to demonstrate what God is like. He came to communicate and demonstrate what God is like. I want to make this statement, but this is true. Um, there are things that you will never know about God unless you look at Jesus. 
He came with some additional information to fill in some of the blanks and some of the cracks and some of the confusion that was missing. You'll never know some things about God unless you look at Jesus. Nature won't get you to this place. I mean, nature, you can learn a lot about God by looking at nature, but nature won't get you all the way there. Um, Religion. (laughs) We've all done religion in our life. That'll fill in a lot of blanks, but it won't get you all the way there. Um, And so to help us understand what God's really like, God came. He came. And, uh, and, And think about this. It was so important for God, to God, that you and I know him personally He came in person. He didn't just send some more information to us. He sent himself. Now, um, not everyone recognized him when he came. And John talks about that, that they didn't understand who he was at first. And and one one of the guys that was kind of following him, a guy by the name of Philip, he was one of his disciples. He talked to Jesus one day. He said, Jesus, you keep talking about the Father. Why don't you just show us the Father? If we could just have a glimpse of God, if you could just kind of peel back to heaven somehow and show us the Father and help us see God, well, that would be enough for us to believe. That would make this faith thing a lot easier if we could just see God. And Jesus looked at him and said something fascinating. He said, "Um, Philip, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. That's a pretty big statement. And my sense is if anyone tells you that, in, in conversation, you should just leave the room. You should get out of there. I get cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. They're crazy. But the people that heard this, that were there, they didn't leave the room. Because some inside of them are like, maybe there's more going on here than what we can see. And so Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, if you want to know what God is like, look at me. If uh, you want to know what God thinks about something, how God's perspective on something, listen to me. Right? And so uh, he basically said, Philip, you're never going to get a better picture of God than me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And, and so this is huge. This is huge and sort of shattering. Uh, basically this. Jesus didn't claim to have the best explanation for God. He claimed to be the best explanation for God. There's a difference. And so um, that was kind of what we talked about last week. And after last week's message, I made a challenge and encouraged you all. I gave you a little homework because... Who doesn't love homework in the middle of summer? Amen. I gave you a little homework, and the homework was simple. I basically challenged you all to go and read just one of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just begin reading a little bit every day one of those Gospels. And, but I, didn't, I told you, don't just read it. Read it through this lens. Read it with this question in mind. What can I learn about the Father by looking at the Son? What can I learn about God by looking at Jesus. If Jesus came to uh, communicate and demonstrate what God's like, then there ought to be some clues in his story that'll help explain God to me in a better way. And so, if you did not do your homework this week, and I'm not gonna ask you to confess your sins in church this morning, uh, if you did do your homework, I wanna give you a chance to jump on and to start this week. And here's what I'm gonna do today. Um, today, what I want to do is I want to read a story about Jesus, one little incident that happened in his life, and I'm going to show you how we can learn about the Father by looking at the Son and what he said and what he did. I was tempted, obviously, to jump to the next reason why Jesus came and go into that, but this, I think this is so important. This process is so important. I want to help you 
know how to do this yourself. My hope is, is that um, for the rest of your life, that whenever you happen to read one of the Gospels or you're kind of confused and where God is, on, so you go and look at Jesus, I want to help you, and that you'll automatically, when you read the Gospels, you'll automatically look for clues about who God is as you look at Jesus. And so as I'm going to read this story to you, and as I do, I'm going to point out just three things today that we can learn about the Father by looking at the Son. There are probably a dozen more things that we could learn in this little story, but I'm just going to do three because of the time's sake, all right? And so the story we're looking at is in John chapter 9. If you have your Bible, you can open it up there. Or if you have your little app, you can pull it up. And I got some notes there. John chapter 9, John uh, the Apostle recounts an interesting, and there's no other way to put it, a humorous uh, incident that happened in Jesus' life. I'll start out here. It says this in verse 1. It says, as Jesus went along, he saw a young man blind from birth. From the very moment he landed on this planet, this guy has never seen, blind from birth. And his disciples turned to Jesus and asked him a question. And they often did this because they were kind of trying to figure things out. They said, Rabbi, um, who sinned? Who sinned? Was it this man or his parents' fault that this guy was born blind? Now, the assumption here is that since he was born blind, someone somewhere did something wrong. And uh, to be honest, that's not good theology. That's not, you know, there's a little bit of truth to that, but it's not good theology. In fact, we see a lot of bad theology show up in this story, and we'll point it out as we go along. But uh, they believed that bad things were always the result of or the punishment for sin. And perhaps maybe that's how you've kind of seen your life sometimes, that when bad things happen to you, you, you automatically assume that something like maybe, maybe you've had a tragedy in your life. You ever had a tragedy in your life and ever thought to yourself, hmm, what did I do to deserve this? You ever ask that question? I mean, seriously, I must have been really bad to get this. What did I do to deserve this? Or maybe have you ever wondered, um, you know what? I wonder if what's happening to me right now, if this is God punishing me for that one thing that I said 25 years ago, Right? You wonder, oh, it's got to be that. I don't know. There's no other explanation. Well, if you've ever thought that, you need to know that Jesus went out of his way to dispel that notion, to clarify it a little bit. Uh, they asked Jesus, who sinned? Whose fault is this? This guy's been born blind. Somebody sinned. Was it him or his parents' fault that this happened? And Jesus said this, verse 3. He said, neither. Neither. Uh, it's nobody's fault. It's nobody's fault. Uh, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Of course, they sinned, but he's saying that's not connected to why he's blind. This isn't this thing that's happened to him isn't a result of sin. And so, in this thing, Jesus introduces you and I to a new idea about God that we might not know. Jesus goes on. He says, "Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him." That there is a a greater purpose here, that his blindness has a greater purpose. Um, the pain and the suffering that he's having right now isn't necessarily a result of sin. It's not always a result of sin. Sometimes our pain, don't miss it, sometimes our pain can have a greater purpose. Now, this was a brand new thought for those that were listening to this. Uh, they had never really heard uh, this before. And so, the first lesson, don't miss this if you're taking notes, the first lesson that we learn about the Father from the Son in this story is this. 
Don't miss this. God sometimes chooses to display his power through our pain. And that got the reaction that I thought of. None of us are like, whoopee! <laughs> but it is a truth that there can be purpose in some of the pain that we go through. Now, their theology didn't teach this. That's not what they taught, as you know. And nature would never teach that. Nature doesn't teach that. And you can't get that from meditation and looking inside. You won't, won't know that. Point is, sometimes God wants to leverage our pain for a greater purpose. God wants to use our pain to do something incredible. That, that's a new thought. And, uh, and maybe you have never thought about that. Maybe you have never considered. Maybe right now you're in a, a difficult situation. You've had a tragedy. You've had some bad news. And you're in pain. And you're like, why is this happening? Maybe you're going to, God wants to use this. How could God use this? For a greater good. How is that possible? Well, I'll tell you this. As a pastor, um, I get to see this play out all the time. I've watched this. It, it, do, it does happen. Uh, you know, people uh, very rarely call the church with good news. <laughs> Usually when people call, it's bad. there's an emergency. Something bad has happened. Something tragic has happened. Uh, and uh, because of that, we as pastors here at, at your church and our church, we kind of get a front row seat um, to people suffering and pain, and tragedy, and uh, I mean, I'm talking about stuff that you would never wish on your enemy. We see this, and we see people, and I can tell you this, I can tell you this, that um, whenever people allow God to use their pain, whenever people uh, allow God to use their pain for his purpose, the results are nothing short of amazing. For them, and for other people around them. I mean, it's those kind of stories when someone has something horrible happen and they kind of give it to God and they allow God to use it in some way. Those kind of stories are the stories that kind of make our faith so um, um, big and, um, and, 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 and real and beautiful and attractive to the world on the outside. They look at someone that goes through that and gives it to God and they're like, wow, wow. That's, that's something I wish I had, right? And so, basically, Jesus introduces us to an idea, a new idea, that sometimes God wants to show his power through our pain. And that's something that we would have never known, really, without Jesus showing us. Okay, so uh, the story here picks up a little momentum. And, in fact, it actually gets ridiculous from here on out. This is, I'm, I'm going to apologize. It's just weird. It's funny. In verse 6, it says this. And after Jesus said this, after saying this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva, and then slapped it up on the blind man's eyes. Right? I want to read that again through the lens of what can we learn about the father by looking at the son. The father hawked a loogie onto the ground and made mud pies. And you're like, what in the world is going on? I want you to get the picture here. This blind beggar is sitting there. He's probably a little dirty, um, wearing some rags. He's poor. He's just begging to survive, barely hanging on. And a conversation happens off to the side of him about, you know, whose fault. He hears some of that. Maybe he hears it, maybe he doesn't. But the next thing he does hear is that someone is spitting right next to him, right? And then that someone apparently smears some mud and puts it on his face, you know, and he's just, what? And then he hears a voice say to him, uh, go and wash yourself in the pool of Siloam, 
Now the guy's thinking, okay, yeah, I might as well go wash somewhere now that I'm dirty and I might as well go to that pool. Thank you for your suggestion, whatever you're doing to me. And, uh, and so John then tells us that this man, very simply, went and washed and came home seen. I mean, he washed his face and he seen. Now this is, this has happened so fast that we miss the power. Think about this. This blind man has never seen a thing in his life. Darkness from the beginning to this day. Nothing. And then suddenly he washes his face. He meets a man he's never met before. That guy slaps some mud in his eyes. Somehow this guy stumbles and crawls and maybe you know, just works his way or maybe someone guides him to this pool. He gets there. He washes his eyes. And when he opens his eyes, he can see his hands for the first time. And then he kind of can see his body and looking around, he's seeing people and, and faces and, and trees and the sky and the sun. He's never seen this before, right? And of course, what does he do? He runs back to tell, he runs back home to tell his friends and his family. And John says this, that his neighbors, this is interesting, his neighbors who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same guy that was sitting over there that used to beg? Isn't this the same guy? And others were looking at and they couldn't believe it. They're like, can't be. It's not him. It just looks like him. It's got to be someone else. But this guy, he himself insisted, no, it's me looking at him. They'd never looked him in the eyes. He's always kind of off over here and there. He's like, it's me, right? And, uh, and, uh, and there's this argument. Is it him? I don't know. And he's like, no, it's me. And they're like, no, I can't put you in. It's just back and forth. And so uh, they ask him a question, an obvious question. They're like, how is it that your eyes have been opened? And he replied, and it's interesting what he said. He said, the man they call Jesus, the man they call Jesus, he doesn't say, the Son of God showed up. He didn't say, the Messiah came. He didn't say, the Lord came. He said, this man named Jesus uh, made some mud and put it on my eyes. And he told me to go to the pool of Siloam and wash, and I did, and I went and I washed. And I could see. I mean, he was just as dumbfounded by this. And so the, uh, his friends and neighbors ask a really dumb question. They're like, where is this man? And he said, I don't know. I didn't see which way he went. <laughs> Sherlock. By the way, I added that last part. That's not in your Bible. You, you would like my translation of the Bible better than yours. Mine's got some good stuff I wrote. Anyway, uh, in verse 13, it, it, it says, so they you know, did the thing that they had to do. They brought the man who had been born blind, the man formerly known as blind, to the Pharisees. Now, they did this because this was an Old Testament rule. You had to do this. If you were sick, if there was someone that was sick in the community or there had been a miracle, you had to go to the religious leaders and have them kind of sign off and allow you to be back into the community and so that you would show up and they'd ask you a few questions, check a few boxes. Like, that's it. That's a miracle. Let me sign this. This is your certificate. You've been healed. Thank you for coming. God bless. You know? And so they took him there. And, but John tells us that there was a big problem that happens in this little scene where he goes to them. He said this. He said, now on the day which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes, it was the Sabbath. Bum, bum, bum. You know, the music changes. It was the Sabbath that all of this happened. So, therefore, the Pharisees asked him, 
how did you receive your sight? Tell us a story. And he's like, this guy put mud on my eyes today, and I washed, and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> they looked at each other like, clearly whoever did that is not from God. This is, this is witchcraft. This is wickedness. This is evil. Because why? He doesn't keep the Sabbath. He's not following the rules. He's not keeping our rules. You see, we have God. We have God in a box. God is in this box, and we have a very sophisticated theological system that tells us what God will do and what God will not do. And God always takes a day off. Always. God never works on the Sabbath, and God would never heal someone on the Sabbath. And we know this because we know everything there is about God, and God would never do something like that. Hmm. And that, my friend is why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. That mentality, that attitude, that viewpoint is why God sent himself instead of sending some more information because there was confusion. People had misinterpreted. Something had been lost in the translation along the way, and so Jesus came to clear that up. Now, apparently, uh, some of the Pharisees were a little confused by this original assessment, too. Um, it says this, but other Pharisees asked, well, wait a second now. How could a sinner perform such things? How could a sinner do that, right? And so there was some division between these two uh, groups, camps, and they're like, should we go with what we see or should we go with what we've been taught? Should we go with this evidence of something's happening that's pretty amazing, or should we go and stick with our tradition and what we think and what we think we know? So they turned to the blind man again, and they said, hey, um, what do you have to say about this guy that did this healing? I mean, it was your eyes open. You tell us what you think. And the man replied, he said, I think that he is a prophet. And I think they might have asked this as a question, like, I don't, I don't know. Because I've never actually seen the dude. I've never laid my eyes on him. Um, and basically what, what conversation we had was a very short conversation. He kind of said a few words and then, you know, he was gone. And, uh, and so maybe he was a prophet? <laughs> and so John tells us that the Pharisees were really wrestling with this. That he says that they still did not believe that this man had been born blind. Because it was clear that he wasn't blind now and that it was just hard for them to believe that he had received a sight in this way until they sent for the man's parents. So they called the man's parents in before them and asked him this question. They said, is this your son? Is this the one you say that was born blind? How is it now that he can see if that's what happened? And I love their answer. They're like, uh, yes, we know he is our son, and yes, we know he is born blind, but how he can see now? And who opened his eyes? We don't know. Um, you should ask him. <laughs> he is of age. He can speak for himself. I love that. Uh, John says that the reason his parents did this, he, he says that his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided in their mind, they have God in a box, right? They've already decided in their mind that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus might be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. And that was a big deal. This is, that's a big deal back then. I mean, uh, uh, if you were put out of the synagogue, out of the church in that culture, that basically meant social and economic death. I mean, you were a pariah. Um, you, you, if you were out of the synagogue, you couldn't go to the temple. You couldn't go to the temple and make sacrifices for your sins, which made you unclean. 
And if you're unclean, you couldn't interact with people. You couldn't do business with people. You couldn't work with anybody. If you were put out, basically you were excommunicated from the society and from your faith and from your friends and family. And basically you're kind of lumped in with all those others, those lepers and prostitutes and tax collectors, the unclean. And so they knew that, and that's why they answered. And so they, a second time, asked the man to come to them who had been born blind. And they said this to him. Now they said, man, we didn't get what we wanted from your parents. You, tell us what happened. Give glory to God. Tell the truth. Swear to God what happened. Uh, They said, because we know that this man, we know, our little God in a box tells us that this man is a sinner. And the man replied, "Uh, whether he's a sinner or not, I, I don't know. But one thing I do know, and I love this next statement. It's one of my favorite in the New Testament. Some of you know what he's about to say. Uh, and I, let me tell you why this, I love this. Um, some of you think that until you know everything, until you understand everything, you can't believe anything about Christianity. You're like, I've got to have it all before I can kind of swallow this piece. I mean, I, 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 until you understand everything and you know, tell me about how God did it in six days. Tell me about this Noah's flood thing and, and you're working through it and you're like, Ugh. until you know everything and believe everything, you can't believe anything. And that's not the truth. I remember when I was 21 and I was first presented with this Jesus thing and I was investigating and I'm a rational person and I wanted to wrestle with this. And, and by the way, God is okay with you thinking and reasoning. In fact, there's a passage in the scripture that God says, come, let us reason together. In other words, I'd love to talk to you about it. You don't have to check your brain at the door when you come to God. Most people think that because most Christians aren't using their brains, amen? We could use our brains a little bit more. We can think, and God is okay with us thinking and rationalizing. But if some of us are just circling the runway until I can figure everything out, I can't believe this thing. And I remember when I was 21, and I went to the pastor, and I was talking about this Jesus thing, and, and he's like, yeah, if you just believe in your heart that Jesus died and that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And I'm like, well, how does that work? And he's like, well, this is how. And I'm like, well, I don't know, but what about this? And he's like, well, that, that, this. And I'm like, but what about this? And he just knew that I was using excuses. And he's like, man, you just got to believe. And I'm like, I just don't know if I understand enough to believe. And he made this statement to me. He says, let me ask you a question. When you walk into a dark room, what do you do? I'm like, I don't know, flip on the lights. He's like, yeah, let me ask you, do you understand electricity? Like, do you understand how it works? Like, not really. He says, that's funny. That doesn't stop you from turning on the lights, flipping the switch. He says, why don't you just flip on the switch with Jesus and God will bring the light in your life and you'll understand that. He had me. And so some of you are stuck. Till I believe everything, I can't believe anything about Christianity. And right here in this little story, in this little snapshot of history where Jesus meets this blind man, God, this this man, this blind man makes a statement that has been preserved to you and I for 2,000 years to help some of you realize, you know what? (laughs) I can believe something without knowing everything. I can believe something without understanding everything. I can take a step of faith to God without having to have it all figured out and knowing everything about him. So I love that. So here's what he said. He said, um, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, the one thing I know is that I was blind. Now I can see. That I know. I was blind. I can't tell you a lot about Jesus. I 
I can't answer all your questions about him. I don't know if he was a rabbi. I don't know if he was a prophet. I don't know if he was the Messiah. I don't even know if he was a magician. I I don't know. Um, I can't explain everything, but I can tell you this. Once I was blind, but now I see everything. Before Jesus, nothing. After Jesus, (laughs) everything. Oh, man, I love it. And so John continues with the story. The the, the Pharisees drilling. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he do this? How did he open your eyes? And the man kind of gets exasperated. He's like, I've told you this already, and you you don't seem to be listening to me. Why do you want to hear this story again? And then it dawns on him. He's like, oh, I get it. You must want to become one of his disciples too. Of course, that's not why they were asking that. They got angry at that. They hurled insults at him, it says. And they said, you are just this, one of this man's disciples. That's what you are. And we are disciples of Moses. You see, we know, there it is. We know God. We've got God in a box. We know God better than anyone. And we know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man, he's just getting bolder. It's funny. He's, he stands up. He goes, well, that is remarkable. I love that. That is remarkable. He says, you, know, you don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. And then this guy makes a speech. He says this. He says, we know some things. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, which is, by the way, bad theology. It's not true. God hears every voice. He hears us. He loves us. Uh, he, hears, he, he, he goes on. He says, he only listens to the godly person who does his will. Not true. Again, not 100% true there. And so this guy then says this, nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man been born blind. No one's ever heard of that. And if this man was not from God, he could do nothing. In other words, this conversation we're having is crazy. We've all just experienced something that's never happened in the history of the world. But here you are arguing, is this guy good or is this guy bad? Listen, come on, would a bad person do this for me? I mean, would a bad person do this? No way. I gotta, is it just possible? Is it just possible that God's doing something here? Is it just possible that God is just a little bit bigger and better than you've imagined him to be? To this, they didn't like him giving a speech. To this, they replied, you were steeped in sin since birth. You've been a sinful little monkey since the day you landed on this planet. What do you know, and who are you to lecture us? And there it is. And they threw him out. They threw him out, him and his family probably out of the synagogue. Religion, right? We'll talk about that next week. But in doing so, here's the good news. You and I get to discover another lesson about our Heavenly Father that is huge. And it's this, write this down. Number two, God's mercy is always bigger than our theology. This incident shows that God's mercy is bigger than we thought, than we are led to believe sometimes. Now listen to me carefully. Every uh, theological system, uh, you know, that's been created, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, you name it. Every theological system puts a cap or maybe a collar, a restraint on God's mercy. 
I mean, every theological system has restraints and boundaries on how far God's mercy actually extends. At some point in every theological religious system, someone's just on the outside of having access, of being able to access God's mercy. And that's why Jesus came. Uh, Jesus came to make it clear to you and I, hey, my Father's mercy uh, flows over <laughs> and past any theological construct that you can come up. It's bigger than you can imagine. It's bigger than you can imagine. In fact, I think Jesus might say to us that mercy should trump our theology. That mercy is over our theology, that it is better than our theology. In other words, whenever, let me put it this way, whenever our theology becomes an obstacle to God's mercy, you and I need to change our theology. We need to catch up with what's real. In other words, if you believe here this morning that someone is outside of God's mercy right now, you're believing something that is wrong. Um, and, and the thing is, is we Christians can be just as guilty as this, and in some ways more guilty of it than other peoples of their faith. We should know better because one thing we've learned about God is that he is merciful. Jesus said, go study what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Desire mercy. I want mercy to flow. My mercy is bigger than you think. It's more important to me than you think. And so as Christians, we're guilty of this. And I've got to be honest. We have a reputation that's not that good. I mean, some of you literally had to come here covertly. You got out of your house and you're like, our neighbor's looking. You don't want them to know that you're associated with Christians and church. Because we got such a bad reputation, man. We have a reputation for being a lot of things, but I'm positive that we're not famous for, oh boy, those guys are merciful. It's more like, Christians are judgmental. They are judgmental and they're hypocritical. And I just want you to think about what would have happened if we had gotten this right. If we had understood this and practiced it you know, over the last hundred years, where would our world would be? I mean, imagine you and I today living in a world where people may not like us because we what we believe about Jesus, because he said, I am the way, the only way. People don't like that. They may not like us because of what we believe with Jesus. But when they do get together and they talk about us, they would say things like, you know, I got to admit, those people sure are generous. I mean, they just, they just give. They look to help solve problems everywhere you go. They're just generous. And, and someone else say, yeah, you know, I hate saying this, but man, they're some of the kindest people, right? And oh, yeah, you know what? Um, their mercy, oh my gosh, their mercy is boundless. <laughs> How cool would it be if that was our reputation? And Jesus would say, if it's not, then you need to change your theology. You need to get this where it needs to be. But my bigger point here is that you and I would never know how high and wide and deep and broad and endless God's mercy really is if it wasn't for Jesus showing us. So um, finally, uh, we get to the end of the story and we discover a third truth through Jesus and it's this, I'm gonna tell you what it is before I tell you why. Number three, God takes a personal interest in individual people. 
God takes a personal interest in individual people. And this is huge for some of us because some of us wrestle with, does God really care about me? Does he even know me? I mean, I know, maybe you wonder, like me sometimes, I wonder sometimes, my brain a little off. I wonder, God, does God even really know my name? I mean, maybe I'm on a list somewhere, but does he really know me? Has he really counted the hairs on my head? Wouldn't take him very long, but uh, does he really, does God more, how about this one? Does God really hear my prayers? Does he really hear me when I pray? Or do my prayers just kind of go up and kind of mix with everyone else's and it becomes this just droning noise, white noise, and God's like, I, I hear y'all, I got it. I mean, what do you think? I mean, one way to find out what you believe about how God hears your prayers is how often do you pray? Do you find yourself praying a lot or not? Because that'll tell if you really believe that the creator of the universe cares about what you're going through and what you say and what you need. Your prayer life will tell a lot, right? Or I don't know about you, sometimes I hear John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. And I wonder, does that mean that God loves us uh, individually or does he just mean collectively? I love humankind. I love the world. We wrestle with this and we, you know, we, that's why we freak out when bad things happen to us because we're convinced that God doesn't care about us. And so here's one of the most amazing things that, as I've thought about this. Uh, one of the most amazing things about Jesus' ministry to me is that he chose to heal, person, uh, heal a person one at a time. He chose to heal people one at a time. I'm not amazed that Jesus or God healed people. You know, if God came, I, I believe that he would heal people, but I'm amazed about the fact that he healed people one at a time because he could have healed them in groups. He could have went, you know, you've been healed and then move on to the next thing. That would have been much easier, much more efficient. He was limited Physically, he was limited time-wise, and so he could have just healed. You've been healed. Everybody healed, done, move on. What's next? Um, but he didn't do that. The Gospels say that crowds followed Jesus everywhere. Crowds of sick people followed Jesus everywhere he went, hoping that he would heal them. In fact, here's an example. Luke chapter 4, verse 40 says this, that people throughout the villages and the countryside all over brought sick family members to Jesus. They're all hoping that Jesus would heal. And it says this, that no matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed every one. One at a time, he healed people. One at a time, he looked them in the eyes and said, what can I do for you? And he healed them. Um, you wonder why. Why did he do that? Well, I think Jesus wanted people to know that the Father takes personal interest in each of his children, that the Father sees them and that he cares about them and he loves them and he wants to help them. I believe that. I believe that's why I did it. And, and so watch this. Think about this. With that in mind, at the end of the story that we just read, uh, the Pharisees, remember we left the story, the Pharisees had just thrown the blind man out of the synagogue. He's out. He's out. And look at this little verse. Verse 35. It says that when Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, he went and found the man. He went and found the man. In other words, Jesus went looking for this guy. Remember, Jesus is God in a bod. God is, Jesus is the visible image of an invisible God, and God went looking for this one 
man. Now, why would he do that? Well, that's totally consistent with the parables that Jesus taught about the father's heart for the lost. You know about that? He taught, told the parable about the lost coin and how the woman flipped her furniture over looking for this coin. She couldn't find it. She had to find it. She was looking everywhere. She was desperate. And then Jesus told another parable about the shepherd who lost one of his sheep and he left the 99 to go find the one. And he told the parable about the son. He had two sons, but one went away and his heart was, and he left. All of this is consistent. And so Jesus went looking for him. And when he found the man, he asked him, do you believe in the son of man? And, and the blind guy, formerly known as blind, that man, that voice sounds familiar. I don't recognize the face, but that voice, hmm. And he says this. Listen to what the blind man said. Who is he? Who is the son of God? Who is the son of man here? Tell me so that I may believe in him, which is brilliant. I want you to think about this. I love that. The blind man didn't know Jesus. Didn't know him from Adam. But Jesus knew the blind man. Jesus went looking for the blind man. He searched for him. He knew him. You may not know God. God knows you. God's looking for you. God cares about you. Verse 37. Jesus said, well, you have now seen him with your own eyes. <laughs> you haven't seen a whole lot. You've now seen him with your own eyes. And in fact, he is the one that is speaking with you now. And the man said this, Lord, now it's Lord. Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. It's like, wow. I think about what a day that must have been for that dude. I mean, what a roller coaster ride and the things that he saw. I mean, brilliant. So let me quickly wrap up this and I'll let you go. Um, so what did we learn about the father by looking at the son today? Well, in this one story, <laughs> we learned that number one, God displays his power in our pain. That it is often in our weakness that God shows himself strong to us. It is often in that most tragic thing that's happened in our life that God wants to shine through and do the most good. It's that thing that hurts you the most that God wants to use the most to bring the most good in this world. It's often in our pain that God shows us power and his goodness. Number two, we learn that God's mercy is bigger than our theology. That if you look in the mirror and you go, man, I am a hopeless, God is done with me, I'm too far for God, you're wrong. Your theology is wrong. Your view of God isn't big enough. God's mercy trumps our theology that we come up with often. And number three, we learn that God takes a personal interest in individual people, that he, he loves you, and he loves you, and you, and you, and all of you, and he cares, and he sees you, and he knows what you're going through, and he cares. Wow, isn't that cool? Just that today in that little story, I'll tell you, brilliant. Um, so, once upon a time, uh, God became one of us. And he did that for a reason. He did that for a reason, and we probably should find out why, right? And so I want to encourage you to read the Gospels and to 
Come back next week for part three. Amen? Amen. Let me pray, and we'll get you out of here. Father, I thank you uh, for uh, this story. It's just mind-blowing. And I thank you for preserving these texts, your word, these stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to us all through these years. The Bible has been banned and burned and all of that stuff, and here we have this in front of us. And God, I just want to be honest. We're sorry that we have ignored it. And we haven't paid more attention to this because inside of this is the key to understanding you. And we have taken it for granted. And so I pray this week as we all dive into Jesus' story, I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart, even the biggest skeptic in this room, that as they begin to read the gospel through their lens of what can I learn about the Father through the Son, they would be amazed. I pray that the words, your words, Jesus' words would jump off the page into their hearts. And that they would see you, Father, in a new and fresh and exhilarating way. That would go, man, if I was shopping for a God, that's the God I want. That seems right to me. So Lord, help us today to be inspired through reading your word, to believe and to share what we've learned about Jesus and about the Father with those who are around us in our community.